Welcome to The Margin Line, a dental business show by Dandy. Dr. Pasco, thank you so much for joining us today on The Margin Line. We're so excited to have you. Uh, your expertise in not only dentistry, but the business world of dentistry. Our audience can't wait to hear all of the wonderful things that you have to share with us today. And what brought you into dentistry? Oh, gosh, that's a long story. I actually didn't want to be a dentist. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then I wanted to be an artist. Then I wanted to be a heart surgeon. And I was going in that direction. And I had a dental appointment. And uh, the dentist was rather cute. And he asked me, you know, did you ever think about being a dentist? And I was like, ooh, that's disgusting. No way. And, uh, <laughs> and then, then he said, well, you know, I think it's a great profession for women. Uh, you know, I see that you're studying a medical book. It's probably better than, you know, full-blown medicine. You're not on call and all this other jazz. And then he offered for me to come in and, and watch. That was during the cosmetic days. And I fell in love because I have a very artistic side to me, but I also have a very scientific side of me. So I felt that those two really blended together. And that's how I got into dentistry. I love those stories. That's great. Um, tell me about dental school. What was that like for you? Oh my gosh, it went by so fast. It was just very um, eye-opening for me because I lived at home all my life. <laughs> so it was my first time ever away and living on my own. It was a great experience. Yeah, I loved it. Where did you go to dental school, Doc? University of Pittsburgh. Hail to Pitt. Awesome. Hail to Pitt. <laughs> what are some things that when you walked across that stage that day, that you said, all right, look out world, here we come. This is what I'm going to do. You know, dental school was a whirlwind and we did learn a lot, but it wasn't a ton of hands-on. And so I was very fortunate and I had a great associateship uh, along my way before ownership. And I learned a lot through there too. So I'd like to tell you, Barry, that yeah, I was ready to conquer the world and there was not a fear in me, but I, I was scared to death. <laughs> I was the first doctor in my family too. So, you know, yeah, so I have, I've, you know, I didn't have anybody to to seek advice from. So right to to kind of lean on or or, or mentor from. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. What would be one thing that you would tell a new dental graduate? Hey, you need to know this. While you're in dental school, it's really important to learn the technical side of dentistry. But what I would suggest, and what I didn't do until after dental school, uh, several years later, is learn what makes people tick to learn how people think so that you can better communicate with your patients and your staff, especially these days. I pick up tons of books, anything that I could read about uh, how to better improve my communication with people. Was that from the school of hard knocks that you kind of slid into that? Or like that was a mission that, you know what, uh, I'm, I need to communicate better. Kind of walk us down that pathway. I think our audience would, would want to know that. When I bought my first dental practice, it was a very old dental practice from the 1970s. And everything in that practice was old, including the dentist and the patients. And I was young <laughs> and right. um, I didn't, I really didn't understand how to relate to the patients in that practice. Um, uh, and no one ever taught me that in dental school or anywhere else. And the trouble I was running into is every time I would walk into the, the treatment room to do a checkup. Uh, the, the patient would think I was just another hygienist. Yeah, they didn't take me seriously. Consequently, because of that, or my staff weren't listening to anything I said either. I was having a really hard time, Barry, even to the point where I had considered selling that practice after about a year and a half and going, you know, into the family restaurant business or something or working, you know, sure. at the school as a teacher. I, 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 re I was really, you know, ready to give up. 
and when I changed the way I thought and the way I approached my patients, uh, my patients listened. They respected me as the doctor. They did exactly what I said, and so did my staff. And though the whole thing, it didn't happen overnight, Barry, but it took time, and um, you know, it, it produced results that kept me in dentistry and having a really fulfilling career because. As a dentist, we want to help our patients, but if we can't communicate right with our patients, then the patients make all the decisions and all the choices and tell us what to do. And that's not really what we're in, in medicine for. Uh, so it really, it really changed the trajectory. So you went from the, uh, the 70s, yeah. if you will, the 70s style practice, then you went where? Yeah, the practice grew really, really fast. And once I learned how to communicate with my patients and I told them, this tooth is sick, it's cracked, it's broken, I can't patch it anymore, it needs a crown, they, they said, okay. And I started doing the type of dentistry I wanted to do. I was really happy. I, I wanted to continue in dentistry. My practice grew very rapidly from three operatories to six operatories, then from six operatories to 10 operatories, and then from 10 operatories to uh, 16, 16, 18 operatories. That's like the size of a football field. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but you know, Barry, wow. that's what happens when you do the right thing and you do the dentistry that you're supposed to do for your patients. Um, it, your practice just organically grows. Uh, when you when you cut back the treatment plan, uh, you know you tell a patient that they need three crowns, and they say, "Oh, doc, my insurance only covers one. Can you do one this year, one next year, one the year after?" What that does, Barry, is it instills a lack of confidence in the patient if you agree to that, because then the patient is left to wonder, "Well, if I really needed three crowns, why is she he doing only one? Did I really need those three crowns, or do I really just need this one?" And so the practice doesn't organically or naturally grow because you're, you're not building trust with your patients. You're actually building distrust. And then patients over time or right away, sooner than later, sometimes due to the distrust, go seek second opinions. How long did it take you to grow from three to 18 ops? That's a substantial jump. 10 years. And uh, was it, you know, because there was a bajillion people moving in? Help me out. No, actually, that practice that I had, uh, I lived in Buffalo, New York at the time. And um, okay. yeah, it was uh, Buffalo, New York. If anybody knows that area, it's um, like the test ground for sales of products because the joke is if any if somebody buys it in Buffalo, anybody anywhere will buy it. <laughs> um, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the average household income there was about, you know, $30,000. You know, it wasn't, you know, anything like that. It was just, um, I really attribute it to being blessed to do the right thing. Uh, for the patient. And um, sometimes it didn't always feel right. Sometimes it hurt because patients will argue with you or, you know, or, or whatever, but you got to stay true and you got to do what's right for the patient. Yeah. Dr. Pasco, I think our audience would like to know, you know, you went from here to here at the highest level of dentistry. What are some of those steps? What are some of those practice builders that you could share with our, our audience, please? So I had a firm belief that I was going to build a practice that when people said dentistry, they thought of my practice. And that's what I had in my mind. I decided that, um, you know, I wanted to be the biggest dentist office in Buffalo, New York. And I wanted to help, you know, 10,000 people get their teeth back to, to good health. That was first and foremost. 
The second step then is making a commitment to something. And that's the second thing I did is I made a commitment to that. So I learned, because in dental school, they don't teach us anything about business. I learned about the business aspect of dentistry. I learned about human beings because, you know, while, you know, dentistry is awesome and all the technology out there is awesome, there's still something attached to that tooth and it's a living, breathing, thinking human being. And, you know, you have to know how to deal with that. So I made a commitment to learn business and to learn about people. And the third commitment I made on that was to learn about leadership and how to be a good leader and um, influencer. Uh, not only to my patients, but my staff and also uh, ideally the community as well. And one of the things I realized was I can't do it by myself (laughs) and uh, I have to surround myself with the right people in the leadership roles, the technical roles, the administrative roles. Uh, I think at one point I had about 25 employees. Some of those employees were designated just to marketing. They were on the marketing team and my new patient coordinator was considered to be part of the marketing team. Uh, you know, we had a technical team, which was our clinical team. We had a management team. Uh, you know, I, I even had like a follow-up team, someone who just kept quality control and make sure everybody was doing um, everything correct. And if they didn't understand something, they would get the training or help that they needed. You know, it's putting the right people in place. And I've given lots of talks about this, Barry. You know, you can hire people, but if you don't place them right, then they're not really of much value to you. So understanding people and knowing what they do best and letting them do what they do best was really a a big part of that. And then after that, it's really important after you surround yourself with the right people that you put in the right systems and the right organizational processes. That's the step that most dentists do wrong is they put in the systems and the organizations. They want the easy button. They want templates. They want scripts. They want all this stuff. But if they don't have the right people in place and they don't know where they're going and they haven't made a commitment to going wherever it is they're going, then it doesn't matter what systems and organization you put in place. It's never going to work. And then I guess, Barry, the final step is what everybody really is looking for, which is your legacy, right? Like, what are you going to leave behind? I told you what my goal was for that practice, and I I surpassed that goal uh, big time. And uh, I got to a point where I had to, now I knew it was time to turn it over. And that's what I did. I I turned that practice over. I relocated. I started a new practice. I focused on helping other dentists be able to do the things that that I was able to do uh, with coaching and production coaching and things like that. Sometimes you have to start at the end to get to the beginning, right? So I think it's really important for any dentist listening out there. You got to know where you're going. Uh, any good business plan starts with the exit strategy. Well, you, you mentioned teams and, and uh, really uh, uh, focusing on uh, various systems in your practice. Let's go backwards a sec. Where, especially in these times, we'll frame it that way. Where did you find these amazing human beings? <laughs> I didn't find them. Uh, we made them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's putting your your trust and faith into the right people, people with good intentions, uh, people who want to do the right thing, people who are loyal and committed. Uh, you know, is finding that right person, but also making them the right person as well. So they've got to have the 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 basics in right. They've got to have a good work ethic, and you know, uh, and then it's and then it's training them to do whatever it is that they're doing. For example, Barry, I had a treatment coordinator. She was responsible for 
reviewing the treatment plan and all of the finances associated with the treatment plan. And she was the best treatment coordinator I ever had. Her name was Erica. And she was so good at it. But before Erica was a treatment coordinator, she was like a cashier at a gas station. We were so impressed with her customer service just at a gas station and just how helpful and happy she was and pleasant she was every time we went in that we offered her, you know, to come on in and check out the dental office and, you know, see if she was interested in a career change. And she was. And uh, she she was very patient, very kind. That was her nature. But she by no stretch of the means had any experience in dentistry or in treatment coordination. Uh, but with some training, she she took it on and she she did fantastic. With regards to all of those systems that you had, which system do you think just was dug on near flawless? If you look back in the rearview mirror right now, you'd be like, yeah, that was a home run. Your treatment presentation line. It has to be in order and in check all the way from uh, the diagnosis, the treatment planning, the case presentation. Uh, that all has to be very fine-tuned and very well-organized. If it's not, um, and it varies and it gets confusing, or if you don't have the right tools or the right ways of communicating uh, with your team so that everything flows smooth, the patient starts to feel uncomfortable. They start to lose confidence in your practice. One of the biggest things that you can put in, or treatment presentation line, I guess, is just being quiet. I know that sounds really strange, but a lot of the times when I coach these dentists, they're talking through the treatment plan verbally while they're looking in the patient's mouth and they're, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that, maybe this. Please, please don't do that. (laughs) Zip your lips, do everything in your head. Not everything in your head has to come out through your lips, right? So we all know that use hand signals, use notes, whatever you have to do to sort your, sort yourself out. But don't talk it through with the patient or in front of the patient or with your staff in front of the patient. It just, it doesn't work. What would be the one system to tell our audience that, boy, that's the one that required the most attention. That was the problem child, if you will, or that was the one that we really had to revamp and revamp again or kind of expound upon that, if you would. I would say it was probably the training, the training of your team to do things the way you want them done in your office. So for example, you know, how to answer the phone, how to schedule an appointment, how to pass the instruments, what to say, what not to say. That's something that never is done. It never ends because even though someone really knows what they're doing, Sometimes they still fall back to their old ways. (laughs) And so constantly staying on top of that is probably the area of the practice that requires the most attention. And I think it's normal that that requires the most attention. Dr. Pasco, uh, you're known as the lifestyle dentist. Please expand upon your mission uh, to our audience with regards to that and uh, how you uh, have done that uh, throughout the years and what brings you the most joy. As the lifestyle dentist, it can be misinterpreted. What the lifestyle dentist means to me is that you can go to work and you can do what you love to do. And when you leave work, you leave work and you go home and you be home. And you're home with your family, uh, your friends, 
your uh, community. Uh, you can spend time doing things outside of the office that you love to do, and it helps people maybe even in another way. So there's some dentists who love to go on mission trips or who love to work, you know, at hospitals and volunteer their time. It should be something that you can comfortably do without feeling the pressure of your office. So when you leave your office, you truly leave your office. Most dentists don't want to do the business side of dentistry. I happen to really enjoy and love it, yeah. uh, but most dentists don't. So they just want to go into the office, do dentistry and leave. And that's exactly what they should do and leave the business aspect up to somebody else that they can trust. Is it more challenging when you go into a practice to work with the doctor or the staff? The doctor is always the most challenging. Sorry. <laughs> We're stubborn. And sometimes we think we know it all. And sometimes we're micro focused, which makes sense to me because that's what we're trained to do. But they have to be able to think of what the bigger picture is and what the next step is and what their legacy is going to be and take themselves through those five steps that we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, so that they can get to the to the end goal, which is probably to spend more time with their family, their friends, their community. Uh, so what I do is I go into a practice or I work with a doctor and I really find out what it truly is that they really want. And then we help reverse engineer, so to speak, how to get there. Because the guy at the top, the doctor, usually no one is holding them accountable for anything. And so, you know, it's nice to have somebody there to hold them accountable. And that's what I do. So for our audience, um, let's say you walk in and it's uh, January 1st. How long, on average, are you there and how long does that take? I usually go into an office for three days. The first day is purely observation. I watch what goes on in the office, how it's running, who's doing what, what needs improved. Sometimes I try real hard, Barry, not to jump in and, and, and get started right away, uh, but sometimes I do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then the second and third day is implementation. That's when we're putting in the systems, the organization, you know, we're going over how things are going to be done. Uh, we role play a lot. Um, and usually a lot of my role playing is with the doctor and most of it's in the area of the diagnosis and treatment planning and presentation line. Um, and then the staff kind of um, have their duties and their job functions that they're doing while I'm working with the doctor. And we kind of balance all that out. So you, you do the three days. Then what happens after that? After that, we do six months of follow-up. So I'll follow up with the doctor on a regular basis. That's the coaching aspect where the doctor is held accountable for all the things that we talked about that you know, needed to be put in place or that need to happen so that they can get to that end line where it is that they're going, what it is that they want to accomplish so that they can have the lifestyle that they want. When you go in, what is the number one uh, problem that you just see everywhere? Like, boom. Like if I said, okay, you're going to this practice tomorrow without even knowing anything about the practice, you'd say, okay, I know it's going to be X. What's X? Well, the audience might not like to hear this, but I can't help but speak the truth. It's always the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I was there too once. I was stubborn and I thought I knew it all. And I, you know, I thought, you know, um, the, the number one problem I, I face is the doctor. The doctor not being willing to 
look at themselves, look at the practice, be honest with themselves about themselves in the practice and, you know, agree to make some changes to be able to move in the right direction, whether it be holding on to staff too long or not wanting to discuss treatment with the patient, you know, being too afraid that they're going to lose the patient as a friend rather, you know, than keep them as a patient. You know, whether it has to be with finances, sometimes their finances are a mess and there's a lot of analysis that needs to go into that. They're spending way more than they're making. Uh, They're buying equipment that they don't really need at the moment uh, because they can't even get the patient to say yes to getting their dentistry done in the first place. So we don't need fancy lasers and those types of things. And sometimes their schedule is just completely out of control. They have days where they're really super busy and not very productive and other days, you know, where, um, you know, they, they have too much productivity and they're getting burned out and taking it out on the staff, you know, and just watching sometimes in bigger practices, the quality control of the other dentists or the other staff, uh, the training aspect for those staff that need the help. And then a lot of the times what's happening on their new patient line, you know, what's happening with their marketing, what's happening, are the new patients coming in, are they staying, are they leaving, are people referring others, is the practice growing organically? Those are all things that the doctor has to be willing to take a look at and realize that the doctor is at the top of the castle and has built that castle. No matter how strong or weak that castle is, they're responsible right, right. for it. Yeah. Now that's an outstanding uh, analogy. Well, let me ask you this. You, you, you touched on marketing there. What types of marketing in 2022 do you find bear the most fruit? Well, it seems to be tried and true for me, and I've been doing this probably since 2005, 2004, or 2005, direct mail. Direct mail with the right message works the best. That's where uh, most of our external new patients come from. And I say external because that's an external marketing resource. Um, secondary to that, externally, I would say that probably, you know, the the internet, the search engine optimization and having someone who really knows how to do that well is really important. But I think more, first and foremost, the best form of marketing that you can have, and it's free, is internal marketing. How the practice is presented when the patient is inside the practice, because your best source of new patients, and still my number one referral source over any type of direct mail or other types of marketing, is word of mouth. That's a really great referral because if someone sends in someone that they care about, that they love, or someone that they're friends with, um, you know, it's a trusted, uh, I'm already trusted from the beginning. And that makes things, yeah, that makes things really easy from there on out. And they're usually the, the best patients. You can get tons of new patients, but are they quality new patients? And by quality, I don't mean tons of money or anything like that. It's patients who who will trust you and patients who, you know, will invest into their health. And someone who understands that their mouth is part of their body and that what you can do to help them in their mouth is going to help them overall with their total health. And that a dentist is more than just someone who spins a drill, but it's the dentist is someone who, who can save a life because what we do inside the mouth helps the patient overall. Okay, the spotlight is on you for rapid fire. Are you okay. ready? Did you buckle up your seatbelt, Dr. Pasco? I am buckled in, Barry. I'm ready to go. All right. 
dog or cat? Cat. Implant or bridge? Oh, implant. Italian food or Asian food? Your family's watching. Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Fall or summer? Fall. Captain America, Batman? Batman, definitely. Baseball, football? Oh, um, football. Beach or mountains? Mountains, definitely. New York style pizza or Chicago style pizza? Ooh, that's tough. I'm gonna. I'm. I have to do New York. I like it thin. Mall or online? Ooh, uh, neither. (laughs) 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 Send somebody else. I'm not a big player, but (laughs) endo or extraction? Oh my gosh! Uh, As far as what I like, extraction. (laughs) You survived. I did. Is that it? So if you don't like the mall or you don't like online, how do you get stuff? I know, right? I'm not a big shopper. Okay. Um, like the the mall is just too much for me. And online, there's too many choices. So end, I end up not buying anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Dr. Pasco, fabulous having you here today. You are an absolute rock star in our profession. It has truly been an honor and a pleasure to pick your brain a bit and share with our audience uh, what makes you so special and valued in our field? We're we're just delighted to to be a part of that. So, uh, appreciate you so much. How much you taught us today, and and how you continue to grow and, and share that with us. Uh, before we go, is there a way for our audience to get a, get in touch with you if they'd like? Oh, sure, absolutely. If anybody has any questions or needs any help from me, the best way to get in touch with me would be via email. And that would be Dr. Yep, Dr. Leslie Pasco at gmail.com, all lowercase, no periods, just Dr. Leslie Pasco at gmail.com. That's the quickest, fastest, best way to get in touch with me. Outstanding. Well, we very much appreciate you, not only just having you as a guest, but as a fellow practitioner, what a gift you are to our profession. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you very much for having me here today. I had a lot of fun with you. And uh, I really appreciate you as well. Our pleasure. Be well. 